Bones and Bobbins podcast is now on Patreon. Woo! Would you like access to bonus episodes, digital extras, exclusive merch, and more? Mm-hmm. Join us in the Curiosity Shop at patreon.com backslash bones and bobbins. Your generous support helps make the show happen and will also earn you our very eternal gratitude and entry into our private Patreon-only Facebook group. Which is delightful. It's true. It, it is where our people gather. It is. It's drama-free. If you see something and you're like, this is bizarre, I need to share it, word spot to share it. Uh, it's true. Frequent insomniac, insomniac posting. And oh, yes. That's me right there. Yeah. <laughs> Same. <laughs> yes. No drama, just super just chill. Weird. Yeah. <clears throat> yep. So join uh, us. Yes, do join us. In a dusty old shop on a forgotten old street, you'll find two witches with books three boxes deep. Next to rusty old needles and faded red thread, you'll come in for yarn, but leave with pigments instead. Whether poisons or patterns, we're always discreet. Where creepy and crafty and morbidity meet. Welcome to the Bones and Bobbins podcast. Hello, morbid makers. We are your slightly creepy, mildly disconcerting, somewhat sinister, delightfully discomposed, opaquely odd, merrily morbid, marvelously misanthropic hosts. And this is Bones and Bobbins, Season 4, Episode 4, The Deadly Garden. Dun dun dun! <laughs> I'm Haley from Red Handled Scissors and the Very Serious Crafts Podcast, and I go by she and her. And I'm Natalie from Uber Dork Designs, an official true crime creative, and my pronouns are she and her. Well, very <laughs> fancy. So, hey, hi, hello, how you doing? Ah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, my autism is turned up to 11, so... The chances of there being just spectacular stimming in the background of the video you can see, the <laughs> listeners can't, but, you know, if you happen to uh, hear some cackling listeners, it's because I have done some real <laughs> flailing. Uh, I have been trapped inside of plants all week. Which is sometimes... Sounds fun, but um, other times not so fun. Well, I mean, it has been very satisfying, but right now I am in just an epic battle with a grapevine. <laughs> you shall conquer! Concord. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I actually don't know what kind of grapes um, this vine is. Uh, I, I have seen them, but I don't know <laughs> what kind so they sorry. are. Um, but, yeah, I just, I don't know how long this grapevine has been where it is, but it is, it is itself dismantling the arbor that it's on. 
Wow. And so I all I want to do is give it a medium haircut. Yeah. That's all I want to do. I just want to cut it back. Yeah. And it's like, absolutely not. <laughs> you will not take me alive. <sighs> and I'm like, you are a grapevine. It's impossible to kill you. Um, so, yeah, I, I've been doing that and prancing around on the inside of a rhododendron that is so big that it covers a wing of the house. It's huge. Yeah, and also, turns out that in my research for this particular episode, I have discovered why it and only it um, takes up the portion of my front garden that it does. But, uh, oh, That's and funny. my husband is casually digging up a grave. <laughs> Just casually. I, he clearly doesn't listen to the podcast. <laughs> no, no. So it's it just it just keeps getting worse, <laughs> like visually worse. I'm um, telling you, bust out the salt. <laughs> I, I mean, I did find the new uh, rock with crosses on it. <laughs> you did, you did indeed. Oh, it's. I feel like this entire gardening process including jeremy's not grave grave is just skirting the edge of fucking with the fae (laughs) Uh, yeah i mean anytime anytime you're you're out uh messing with nature you know what i mean and climbing into a circle filled with dead things yeah 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 that's Mm. that's some fae fuckery I yep. did not, we didn't harvest, remember that stump but had, like, yeah. sh- we didn't harvest and they're still there. Ooh. <laughs> like, they have survived winter. <laughs> they do that. <laughs> like, That's hardy. <laughs> Very hardy. Very hardy. Indeed. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah. Um, and I should probably be clear that it's almost certainly not a grave that Jeremy is digging up. (laughs) I say almost certainly because it's in front of where the murder shack was. Um, But we think that it is a walkway to a now defunct sliding glass door Mm -hmm. that for reasons was just buried and planted over instead of being removed properly excavated yeah because it's not um concrete it's um asphalt is it so i don't think people usually yeah no use that um to seal graves they shouldn't it's very stinky and noticeable like (laughs) and breaks apart with it's oh especially yeah Especially given the cold, it would be very brittle. Well, and Jeremy's got a a railroad tamping iron that he's stabbing the ground with in that area. (laughs) Like like he's never heard of Phineas Gage. We are in fucking Vermont. That's where that shit happened. You can hear the train 
from mm-hmm. our house. And he's out there just casually fucking with a five-foot tamping iron. <laughs> it's probably taller than that because I think it's taller than us. <laughs> but I love it. Yeah, I asked my father-in-law because we borrowed it. Mm-hmm. And when I say we, I mean Jeremy. Borrowed it from him. It's just like, Doug, is, is this a tamping iron? <laughs> and he was like, hmm probably (laughs) and then just walked away while jeremy was like oh i'm taking this pickaxe also (laughs) the fuck are you people doing (sighs) anyway tools so i hope we don't find a body because jeremy was just like well that'd be a pretty shallow grave (laughs) it's like yeah yeah <laughs> sure or would. Just the top of like a very long one, maybe. Oh, it, it's um, stack on stack on stack. No, it, it got long. It mm. now is like a full. Oh boy. Yeah. So anyway, I guess I'll report back if I need to call the medical examiner or Ooh. whoever the hell that is that in this county in this tiny ass state with nobody in it (laughs) well that's fun yeah how are you (laughs) pretty good we had an intense week uh and now we're all just kind of i think we're all just collectively uh tired just tired it's we're in the gloomy part of spring like we and it's wisconsin so it'll snow and then thunderstorm and <laughs> you missed the tornadoes though right yeah they weren't over we, by you yeah we were not thankfully not by the tornadoes um yeah because my mom was watching the sky turn green with regularity over the week and the crazy thing is is that we are so rural mm-hmm. i'm used to like a tornado siren yeah i don't know that we would have one anywhere near where we would be able to hear one Oh, interesting. I always wondered in New York, because um, the sundown siren for um, the Orthodox Jewish community Mm -hmm. was the same as the tornado siren when I grew up. And I I mean, it travels. Oh, also, speaking mm. of, happy Passover to any of our Jewish listeners. Um, and happy Good Friday slash Easter weekend to those that believe in zombie Jesus. Um. <laughs> that was exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Those are coming up. But yeah, I foresee, uh, I've still been watching the lady build. Uh. <laughs> oh, also happy fuck like bunnies to the pagans. Oh, yes, absolutely. Oh, and to, and happy Rex Manning Day. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Uh, what's Tomorrow. Your fa- yeah. What's but, your favorite yeah. Empire Records quote? Um, I don't feel the need to, to explain, explain my, my art, art to you, Warren. That's <laughs> mine too. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, I had such a crush on Rory Cochran. <laughs> Who played him? Uh, so yeah. Uh, pretty chill. Cats are good. Offspring or offspringing. Uh, eldest has gotten chosen to be an RA next year, and which is amazing. Got the placement they wanted. Uh, tomorrow we're gonna do some 
prom wear shopping for uh youngest one she wants to rock a suit Ooh, like a sexy tailored suit corset kind of combo Ooh, has she looked at wild fang because they I, have corsets that yeah. match the suiting that's my and, favorite uh, yeah yeah and i can confirm that well pricey extremely high quality because right. I, I own it that's yeah i they've been my lo- long been my go-to to people um now yeah. obviously there's more there's much uh more smaller gender neutral clothing yep and stuff but uh so yeah so we're gonna do a little little shopping for prom i'm excited so, yeah, so that's that's it that is life here well, you seem to be fucking with the face somewhat less. <laughs> yes, uh, trying to, trying to indeed. Uh, but uh, why? Well, I'm trying to not fuck with the face. We do like to fuck with our curiosity shop members, uh, and now's a good time to take a quick break to thank them all. Uh, yeah. So if you want to join us over on Patreon, you will get your own. Totally special, absolutely normal, not at all creepy. Welcome Mm-mm. shout out like right here in the next episode. It's true. And that's because you're the best. And we would totally go explore hidden old graveyards in the woods with you. Absolutely. And not only will you get in on the fun, but you'll also get uh, a huge backlog of patreon only episodes more than 60 yeah i think we just did 62 uh-huh. uh so and those are fun they and, are fun uh there's some special guests on some of them and uh it's the cats you hear the cats a lot <laughs> it's true i don't they edit the cats really... out <laughs> of the patreon <laughs> Yes, they they really really want to be involved. So like, all right. Yep. So yeah, give us a give us a little join over there. You won't regret. Wow, I just so completely did not understand your Midwestern. Nope. (laughs) And I mean, I'm also from there. I've been in the Northeast too much. There have been too many construction workers uh, adding wicked to everything. Wicked. Uh, Yes, they're... (laughs) They're wicked and you're wicked are two different things entirely. Yeah, I I woke up the other day to um, the electrician telling his um, uh, assistant... Hold on to that wicked hard. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> but like yelling right outside my bedroom door. That is amazing. It's like, what is happening? <laughs> oh, anyway. So, yeah. Good times. <laughs> so, do you want to talk about some um, equally disturbing gardening? Yes. <laughs> to absolutely. the gardening. I guess maybe this is slightly more disturbing gardening than mine. I, w- I would hope. Although I did just realize that the arbor is in fact a doorway. No. Yeah. Good luck mm. with that. <laughs> I have been on an extension ladder on that thing. Mm. 
Yeah, nope. I don't like heights. I don't either. But I do like giving plants a haircut. Yeah. I can see how that would over... The pleasure of that would override the ick factor of the heights. It is very satisfying. Yeah. Yep. Turns out it was a good thing that I was wearing gloves also. Mm. That I have been. Uh, so would you like me to tell you about deadly plants first? Or would you like to tell me uh, about deadly gardens? Uh, I think that you should go first because you like to go first. Especially on days when... You're not sure how long you're going <laughs> to What are you saying, Natalie? <laughs> I'm saying I love you with all of my heart. <laughs> and I know you'd like to go first, so you should go first. <laughs> oh, I adore you. <laughs> but you are completely right. There, there's, a, there's a lot of I don't know. <laughs> all right. Um, so poisonous plants. Yeah. Holy shit, there are a lot of poisonous plants. And also, I have a lot of physical books about poisonous plants, about three quarters of which are still in boxes in what will eventually be my library. So I had to get a little bit creative um, and don't have my full available reference library but turns out most plants are poisonous so um although most plants are not the kind of poisonous that you need to be concerned about generally speaking um so you might you might look at plants and ask why you gotta be so deadly (laughs) and that would be a fair question so uh, it will not surprise you to learn, I'm sure, that plants usually produce poisons to protect themselves from the creatures that want to eat them. That is the reason that plants produce poisons. It's the reason they develop them. And they are, generally speaking, pretty specialized um, and targeted substances substances now that's not quite the word but we're gonna go with it because no brain (laughs) um so sometimes that goes very well and it just makes whatever they would like to not eat it run off and not eat it Uh, that sometimes does go awry when creatures that aren't the target of the evolutionarily targeted poison also try to eat the plant. <clears throat> Humans. <laughs> so we're really good at that. We are. All right. So sometimes being very good at that equals drugs. Okay. Like we are real good at finding out what things have hallucinogens <laughs> in them and then eating them. Poppies! So, <laughs> Pretty poppies! Yes. So, um, yes, like uh, like poppies that will make you sleep. <laughs> poppies. <laughs> now they'll sleep. 
um, dear God audience, if you are not old enough to know what I just did there, oh. I don't tell me. Just don't. Right. Yep. Um, or uh, psilocybin, which is the yes. psychoactive uh, compound within magic mushrooms. Um, there are also lots of substances that have traditionally been used in um, spiritual ways in many cultures. Um, I'm not going to talk about the ones that I specifically don't know about from my culture because I don't know not about life. them and don't want to fuck it up. Yep. Um, but things that you would have heard about like um, ayahuasca and things like that that um, often will lead you on a spiritual journey. Yes. So... So the short answer is yes, they're drugs. Cocaine, see also. That's like, right. Yeah. Cocaine is from a plant. People, I feel like, often forget that given... Indeed. Yeah, I, I feel like people think that it comes from a lab-like meth. Nope, nope. Cocaine is from a plant. So that's fun. All right. So, like with many substances that are either fun substances or possibly healing substances, there is a pretty fine line between malice and medicine. Which is why, like, you can have a fun night out at the club doing cocaine if you want to, but you probably shouldn't do huge amounts over a long period of time because that shit will make your heart explode. Yeah. Like, just don't do it. Burn I mean, among it. other things <laughs> that it will do. Um, like, I feel like that's a, a pretty solid example. But, um, so what's the difference between a therapeutic use and a poison? Often, the answer is only the dose, because there are a good many things that, if taken in small, controlled quantities, can have extremely beneficial effects. And there are also many things that, even if they're taken for the same problem, if you take too much... They will have the opposite effect. Indeed. So, yeah, so plants are interesting. Um, plant poisons as medication has included like easing childbirth, um, aborting a pregnancy, or also um, helping remove a miscarriage mm -hmm. as well. Um, pain control and sleep. So... Hey, opium, sup? <laughs> yep. And poisons from plants have also obviously been used as poison, poisons. Mm -hmm. And um, so much that especially paranoid rulers or everyday folks who had enemies um, have 
historically taken small amounts of poison over time to build up tolerances in case anyone decided they were going to poison them so they could sidestep the ill effects. And sometimes that works very well, and sometimes that means that the poisons that could be beneficial can't be beneficial because you have already built up such a tolerance. Yeah, I feel like that's a pretty tricky road to travel. Oh, and it for sure is. It's also why um, there are a lot of stories about um, people who have tried to slowly um, use arsenic to poison people, Mm -hmm. um, and it has instead caused them to build up a significant (laughs) tolerance. Um, Whoops. (laughs) So it's, I mean, as long as plants have existed and something happened to someone stupid who ate a plant Mm. they shouldn't have eaten, there there has been knowledge of poisonous plants. Um, And poisonous plants also really overlap with witchcraft and Mm -hmm. witches historically. And because poisonous plants um, and also the medicine cabinets or Mm -hmm. the distillation rooms, all of those areas were primarily the domain of women historically. And um, often women with plant-related healing skills, as we all know, were branded as witches. Mm -hmm. And nobody likes a witch until something hurts, and then that's... (laughs) exactly where you go mm-hmm. and i mean that makes sense because turns out you got some uh, some willow hanging around that means you've got some salicylic acid and salicylic acid aspirin yep and so like you want to know those things although if you take too much your blood will then and you will yes. bleed internally and die. So, just not optimal. No. So, you want a person who has this experience and you're also probably afraid of them because they know <laughs> the amounts that would be safe and probably have a general idea of what would happen if those amounts were exceeded. Right. I think it's important to um, to know that, that that whole thing is not just an old-timey thing. Like, nowadays, there's a lot of turn to natural remedies, but it's, it's also done so uh, without, frequently without seeking the knowledge of the source of that medicine, like Ayurvedic yeah. medicine. Uh, you see these people who are like white Barbie yoga instructors that have dreadlocks in their hair. And it's like, you don't know because it's not part of your practice. Like that's not part of your culture. So it's super important that yes, plants are amazing for healing and we should absolutely use them for teas and tonics and tinctures and, and for things that we need, especially when, you know, heavens only knows what's happening with the dumpster fire that is this world. Um, 
But we need to make sure that we are seeking knowledge from from the source that knows. Um, like you and I both follow the Black Forager on TikTok and she is amazing um, at telling <laughs> She's you great. You, her, her filthy vegan uh, teaching you what you can and can't eat and how to, to process it. I follow an Appalachian Forager who makes me incredibly happy. She's amazing. But I think it's important that we if you are going to look into these natural remedies that you make a thousand percent certain that number one, you're seeking out the correct uh, person to learn that knowledge from. And then also um, making sure that you pay for that knowledge in some way that you thank them for it and that you're not just appropriating it and scooting off. Yes. All of those things. Um, I have completely lost where I am. I'm but sorry. Oh, no. That's okay. Is Yay, it... witches. <laughs> but specifically because I can see Appalachian Mountains out my window. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just recently learned that the green mountains in vermont are at the end of the appalachian mountain range i i was i was just in them yesterday (laughs) um anyway (laughs) so um so yes um like you were saying there are often in each culture a keeper of the knowledge of how plants can be used for good or for bad and often those have been women who have passed along that knowledge to um, generally female children or other women in the community and there are like we think of that as something significantly older than modern times but if you look back at um, household journals from Victorian times Mm -hmm. there will be household recipes that would have been the domain of primarily the lady of the house Um, and it would have been their job to know what poisons to mix with what and in what amounts to treat general household needs mm-hmm. um, in the same way that we would give someone Tylenol. Yes. Or something like that. And so that sort of knowledge has been passed along from person to person, often orally, but in the more recent past, very much written down. And depending on the status of the person or the place, that could either be labeled a grimoire or mm-hmm. it could be labeled a household remedy book. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sit with that for a second. Think <laughs> about it. Um, but in every place where people live or have lived, there are people who are from those areas who specialize in the knowledge of the plants of those areas and how to use them or not use them. And those are the people to seek out. Yes. 
Yes. So there have been a lot of times when people have behaved badly in the horticultural sense. You don't say. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but most of the stories are either allegorical tales or fables or um, stories meant to convey a lesson. Um, and frequently aren't actually recorded historical cases of things mm. that have happened. And so one of the most frequent, uh, well, I guess even now it could be an urban legend um, because these stories still exist, is poisoned clothing. Ah, uh, yep. Yep. So there are lots of rumors throughout history of poison gloves and poison gowns because, you know, you scented gloves were really popular um, at a certain period of time. And they were good gifts um, that were often given between women of uh, wealthy households. Mm -hmm. And you would soak these fine leather gloves in scented oils. And so, in theory, they could absorb something more nefarious. There aren't really actually, um, well, at least not any historical references that I've found that are real. But that has been a long-standing, like, fill-in-the-blank item of clothing yeah. that touches your skin and then you are screwed. So, interestingly enough, the only truly documented case of poisonous clothing was um, Paris green and Shields green, which is the green dye that contained high amounts of arsenic that was very popular in Victorian times. And a lot of people, especially who were working with green as part of like fake flowers or mm. something like that they would get very very sick and we have done an episode specifically yep. about shields green and um it's also called witch fever um what happens to you when that happens and so there are there are books specifically written about that but it is one of the few cases of clothing actually being potentially responsible for poisoning because in a ballroom sweat you <laughs> would sweat yeah and uh yeah so not ideal but i i really thought that there were going to be more examples yeah. of different kinds of things and perhaps I just didn't find the right sources but there was a chapter dedicated to it in one of the books that I read hmm. and so that and most of it was like the lore of that happening and not the actual evidence of it ever having happened so that's interesting yeah 
All right. So because I have been outside in, I, I did not know that my house had gardens, plural, <laughs> but it does. And many things are showing up <laughs> that I, <laughs> I have no idea what they are. Um, but some of them I, I have identified and I was surprised to find that they are indeed quite toxic. Um, so one of them is crocus. So, you know, the, the beautiful yeah. spring purple flowers. Um, that historically could be mistaken for wild garlic. Oh, and, when it's for sprouting, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Ooh. it causes the purging of everything in both directions. Ooh, that's extra fun. Which, frankly, is what most of the toxic doses of plants broadly <laughs> Your body just rejects it any way yep. it can. Like, <laughs> relatively, like, they can kill you that way yeah. really easily, but... But, like, the will stop your heart or will do, you know, fill in the blank thing. It's relatively rare that a plant's going to do that. It's more likely that it's just going to make you real sick in either direction or both. So, along the same springtime lines, daffodils. The entire plant is poisonous, and heat doesn't destroy the toxic properties. Oh, wow. And a lot of times, um, like, there are a lot of foods that we eat that aren't great for us raw, mm -hmm. that um, upon being cooked, whatever toxicity was there is um, rendered inert. But daffodils are... Uh, not one of those. Um, and they mostly cause the everything purging. But, mm -hmm. fun fact, they can also paralyze the central nervous system. Oh, shit, so that's that fun. would not be <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so don't do that. Um, yeah, yeah. So another example is one of the more common ones. Um, Deadly Nightshade is yes. also belladonna and the active compound within that is atropine which is still used to dilate eyes for eye exams <laughs> but it's also apparently um it has been a murder weapon in eye drops as well which i find to be fascinating right um, that's kind of smart yeah and well i mean it was discovered so i guess maybe. i mean I so <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so another one that is commonly known to most of us is foxglove which has a long history of helping with heart disorders because within it is digitalis yep. and like that was one of the first treatments for failing hearts the thing is 
that if you take too much of it, it stops your heart instead. Yeah. So that's why you need witches. Exactly. Yeah, all I'm saying. Um, hemlock sounds especially unpleasant. The whole plant is poisonous, and there is swelling and burning of the lips and the tongue, which sounds awful, especially if it gets to fatal levels of that. No thank you. Um, Another creature of my garden, the holly tree, berry, bush, whatever the fuck that is. Um... (laughs) The berries are a bad idea so much that the book that I was reading wouldn't tell me what they did. Oh, wow. (laughs) So I guess they're a really bad idea. Don't eat holly berries. Um, But the leaves are still used um, as an astringent. And um, I assume that that is when distilling it or maybe as a tea um it can also be a diuretic and it seems to help with lung complaints so i'm not sure if it's like a decongestant or something like that i mean i don't know or maybe it'll just kill you i'm not sure i want to find out (laughs) no no i'm just gonna go ahead and not yeah all right so then we get to one of the main features of my week. Yes. The rhododendron. Yeah. I have been battling with, let's see, one, two, three, four rhododendrons this week. One of which, as I mentioned earlier, is the size of one of, one of the wings of my house. Or it was. It is no longer the size. <laughs> um, but it turns out that rhododendrons are poison and they are um specifically uh nope my mind just went blank (laughs) (laughs) anyway um so rhododendrons are poisonous and it's a good idea to wear gloves if you are touching them because this um, sap is mildly irritating. Um, I did wear gloves, so this was not a problem that I experienced, but I also did not know it was a problem I could experience. Um, and they are themselves poisonous, but they also poison the ground around them if they are large enough so that nothing but rhododendrons can grow. Damn. I know, right? Which is (laughs) why I was battling a rhododendron that I could literally stand inside this week. Um, And so if you happen to be in an area where uh, you have a lot of bees and for reasons unclear, only rhododendrons you probably shouldn't eat that honey. Because, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, because rhododendron-heavy honey um, in small amounts gives you mild hallucinogenic effects. Oh. But larger doses can be fatal. Yeah, not a... Yeah. 
the honey also it. looks kind of weird. Oh. Like it's kind of red. And so you would know that it looked a little strange. I don't know if it tastes different. Um, like so, I have a vial of of honey that was made by bees that um, there was an old candy shop or candy factory. Uh. And there were bees that were flying in and out of this old factory that were making... I, I think they were eating, like, maraschino cherry Ooh. Uh, flavoring or something. And so all of the honey made by this particular group of bees was red, like bright red. That's fun. And so I, I have a vial of it um, because, you know, bees in Brooklyn, you got to yeah. do what you got to do. <laughs> um, so, Yeah. So I didn't know that the rhododendron that I have been dancing with all week was that sinister. But it also makes me wonder if the gigantic area that I have cleared around it is capable of doing anything. Mm. Or if it's or if I'm just going to have to allow the rhododendron <laughs> to retake the area. I mean, I was just clearing it out because it had been a while since it had maintenance, so there was a lot of dead growth on the inside. Yeah. But it, that part of the yard may belong to the rhododendron now. <laughs> I don't know. Um, this is maybe my favorite and most surprising of the plants, What Might Kill You. So, a plant called cherry laurel has compounds in their leaves which I think are relatively harmless individually, but when those leaves are damaged or eaten or crunched up in any way, the two compounds come together and produce cyanide gas. Oh, shit! Uh-huh. Um, wow. Yeah, so, like, don't cut that shit with hedge trimmers. <laughs> or, And most of the time, if you're messing with it outside, you're in an open area. And it's probably not a big deal. I mean, if you were a creature trying to eat it and had your snout in there and, like... That could probably be a very bad idea, but probably if you're just doing general yard work, it's not that big a deal, but it becomes a problem when you have to rake up the yard work mm. and put it in a bag and possibly oh, take yeah. it someplace. And then it gets mulched down. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, no, then it's in your car with you. Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just producing cyanide. Just, <laughs> dee, 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 dee. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, yikes. Do not recommend. Yeah. Um, another. Uh, this one. That one isn't in my garden as far as I know. I hope um, not. <laughs> another one uh, that isn't my garden. Hellebore. And... Um, Hellebore roots contain a cardiotoxin that can stop or slow the heart. Ooh. Who knew? Who knew? I have them just chilling. I love hellebore. It's my favorite. But, uh, yeah. So, 
there is like if you were to google poison garden yes there is a photo that will pop up that probably everyone who is weird in the way that we're weird <laughs> has seen yes that is like this ironwork fence and like skull and crossbones and mm. it says poison garden in um yes. like in ironwork and it's as goth as can be <laughs> yeah it, it's the most goth garden that has ever existed um so that is a real garden and it is known as the uk's deadliest garden and it is um uh called the poison garden at the alnwick garden in northumberland in england and it was actually only established in 2005, so it's way newer than I would think, but right. honestly, they did the decor right. Um, but they also did the decor in a way that protects the visitor. That's um, important, because so they it can't come back to <laughs> Yeah. So it contains more than 100 toxic... Well, according to their website, more than 100 toxic, intoxicating, and narcotic plants. And so before visitors are allowed to enter, they must have a safety briefing. Um, and you are not allowed to touch, taste, or smell anything. Yeah, that's important. <laughs> yeah. Um, but even so... There have been guests that have still occasionally fainted just walking through it from uh -oh. inhaling the toxic fumes. So that is a thing that can happen. Um, and so the uh, sign on the iron gate to this garden says, these plants can kill. And like... It, and they can. Mm -hmm. So they are, they're not fucking around. That shit is and, a hell of a waiver to sign, man. Yep. And the entire garden is sealed off behind black iron bars. And it is the deadliest garden in the world. Wow. Yep. Um, which makes it especially interesting that it's open to the public. Right? Yep. So, um... They have many, many plants, and more of them than you would think just exist in the world, in nature, and nobody ever knows that they're poisonous until something happens that makes them realize that. So uh, most of our decorative gardens have some spectacularly poisonous plants in them, and that makes we sense. just don't know. And so, um, let's see. They're, the most toxic plant that they have in the garden is ricin, which I don't think I realized was a plant. Um, but the uh, ricin toxin is the world's most poisonous plant so 
you may, if you are of a certain age, you might remember um, envelopes being sent to government yes. facilities containing ricin. Yep. Um, or not containing ricin, as I believe was more often the case. But that is, um, that's what they're talking about when they're talking about ricin. And the plant itself is, interestingly enough, um, better known as the castor oil plant. And so... Huh. Yeah. (laughs) So So, does it actually make castor oil? I think so. I think it does both. Get you a plant that can do both. I guess, you know? Yeah, man, I don't know. I don't know how that works. I didn't want to make my Google search history any worse than it already was. Um, yeah, so so that's a, a thing. And the interesting thing about Poison Gardens just broadly, because, you know, I kind of want one. Right. Um, because, of course, I do. Right. But also, I have a toddler nephew. Mm, yeah. And also already a pool and a trampoline. So that would be a problematic combination of all of those dangers. Um, so it, generally speaking, isn't illegal to have poisonous plants. It's not, generally speaking, illegal to have a garden of poisonous plants. It can be dangerous to wildlife and children, and it is probably your ethical responsibility Mm -hmm. to make it clear that that's what they are. But if you've ever been to a nursery shopping for plants, Mm -hmm. they aren't labeled, like, as poisonous. You can absolutely walk in and buy some extraordinarily deadly plants that are just normal garden plants. Wow. And, yeah, and so the only plants that are poisonous plants that are distinctly illegal are plants that are already controlled substances, like... The coca plant or um, opium poppies. Marijuana. Yes. (laughs) Um, There's an entire... uh, I linked to a YouTube video in the show notes about this poison garden specifically, and it's a really delightful, like, BBC video about it, and it talks about... um, They do have marijuana plants, and it talks about all of the loopholes they have to jump through to be able to have them uh yeah i can imagine but it's kind of funny because that's one of the plants that they have to jump through hoops to have but not (laughs) but not ricin (laughs) i mean i assume that ricin probably is one of those plants but i am fairly certain that like things like foxglove and well and i know that nightshades aren't so it's There are not, that I have been able to find, laws in the U.S. that forbid having poison gardens. Hmm. And 
as far as I can tell, your legal responsibility is very little, but I imagine that if someone were to become injured or ill or die as a result of what you had, you could definitely say that there is a present danger that mm. you you would have known right like um, partial liability yeah so um those are it, it's sort of a legal gray area it seems and i imagine that it's because most plants are poisonous right and i mean if you get enough of them most of them just make you barf or make you have diarrhea those are the the two things that plants tend to do um but you know like i said some of them can very very much kill you um but technically yes you can has poison garden all right that's yeah. good to know and as a bonus just real quick because it came up in my research. Mm -hmm. Poison rings. Yes. <laughs> I love them. Mm -hmm. Yes, they did exist starting around the 16th century. But they also were probably used to contain perfume, a lock of hair, or a holy relic. But also sometimes poison. So they're real. It's a real thing. It's just not the only thing that they were used for. So. I still think they're amazing. <laughs> oh, I mean, me too. They're fun. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, anyway, that is my relatively short ramble through deadly plants because there are simply so many Yeah. that trying to be anywhere near comprehensive simply wasn't possible. Totally get that. Totally get that. And it's very, very cool. Um, I think we need to go to the Omelette Garden together I, I as a agree. field trip. And uh, it's fitting because I'm taking us to the UK, too. I know. I'm excited. <laughs> and uh, I'm mine, mine involves death in gardens as well in a slightly different context. <laughs> and by slightly, mean very. Yes. So today I am taking you on a delightful little journey surrounding a pocket garden in London called Drury Lane Gardens. A pocket garden. So what the hell's a pocket garden? Long story, <laughs> Long story short, it's a mini park. Uh, typically smaller than an acre. So tiny. Uh, pocket parks can be found uh, urban, suburban, rural, but they're typically found in densely... I got your pocket park right here. <laughs> yeah, you do. Uh <laughs> I don't know. I just had to channel dirty old man for a second. No, it, it totally, yeah. totally makes sense. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're typically found in densely developed urban areas where land is super expensive and like the space for developing a larger urban park is limited. Yeah, there are lots and lots of them in New York City. Indeed. So they're frequently tetris into, like, small, irregular pieces of public or private land, such as, like, vacant building lots, 
next to railroads, beneath utility lines, or like even in parking spots, uh, which is just, (laughs) some of them are just delightful. Um, So pocket parks first appeared in Europe, basically in the aftermath of World War II, uh, as Mm. cities began to recover from the large scale physical damage dealt by warfare, like bombings, there was limitation in capital, labor, and building materials uh, like that were necessary um, to build something bigger. Uh, they needed cheap, easy, and minimalistic solutions to start to restore these urban landscapes. Oh, was were some of these in places where buildings were no longer there? Yes. Then? Yeah. So these contr- the constraints promoted the conversion of like really heavily damaged sites. Into small public parks then, with which they were trying to, like, echo the neighborhood's original peacetime identities. Um, so it was just as much as a necessity to, uh, to rebuild in terms of, like, structure. It was also um, for morale, like, hugely for morale. Oh, yeah. Uh, by the 1950s, the first pocket parks appeared in the U.S. as an adaptation of these small European parks. Inspired by this readaptation of urban space, a landscape architect and professor, Carl Lynn, proposed the transformation of vacant lots in Baltimore, Philadelphia, and D.C. into neighborhood commons. These small urban spaces served as low-cost interventions to improve the quantity and quality of community gathering spaces and recreational facilities in dense urban areas. I love that. I do, too. Um, in 1964, Whitney North Seymour Jr. advocated for the creation of pocket parks in New York City uh, during his tenure as the president of the Park Association of New York. Congressman John Lindsay endorsed the creation of pocket parks in his 1965 campaign for New York City mayor and Paley Park, a premier privately owned public space. That's a lot of peace. And, and prominent <laughs> example of Pocket Park opened during his mayorship in 1967. Basically, Pocket Parks are super fucking amazing, and I may expand on them further in like a future episode um, because they do. Uh, there's there's various there are variations of these, and um, some of them are really cool. They and, are like, secret gems. Yes. Uh, but today I'm going to bring myself back in to focus on Drury Lane Gardens. Uh, I'm trying not to sing the song. <laughs> Drury Lane may sound familiar to you for a couple of reasons. The first one is hmm. it, is uh, being one of the oldest original roads in London, and it is the heart of the West End Theatre District. Now, while researching, I came across the website for The White Heart, and it's spelled H-A-R-T. The White Heart has stood proudly on the corner of Drury Lane and High Holborn for centuries. Like, so far, like, so old that the Old Bailey archives reveal that this corner to be the first and oldest licensed premise in London in 1216. Hot damn. Right. Uh, In the 13th century, this area then uh, was then known as St. Giles. Um, And it was a prosperous village uh, noted for its inns and house of entertainment. The surrounding marshland had been partially drained and turned over to pasture. And the parish of St. Giles, which you can still visit today, uh, has stood since 1222. And was kind of sketchy during the Regency, if I remember correctly. Yeah, 
the White Hart Public House has been the name of the pub uh, on this site since the 15th century and was a legendary watering hole for London's notorious highwaymen and rogues. Man, my head hurts <laughs> when I think about continuously occupied space that we had the good sense to recognize. Because, mm-hmm. like, we have plenty of continuously occupied spaces in North America, but we just buried it. Yeah. And decided that it wasn't worth noting. And so now we don't have any history. Right. We are done. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the plague of 1665 first started in December of 1664, technically, after a group of Flemish weavers opened imported goods from Holland in a house in front of Stuckley Street, home of Comb and Company's stables, where the Travel Lodge Hotel stands today. Throughout 1665, <laughs> the, throughout the 1665, the horrific plague devastated much of Greater London and was only eased by the Great Fire of 1666. Oh, and, good. <laughs> you know, just kill it with fire, I guess. Because the rats ran away. <laughs> right. Uh, chit, chit, chit. <laughs> in oh, the 16th and 17th centuries, Drury Lane was known as a fashionable street. With residents including the Marquess of Argyle, Oliver Cromwell and Nell Gwynne, Lavinia Fenton, afterwards Duchess of Bolton, and the original Polly Peachum in the Beggar's Opera, lived in a coffee house on the lane. Oh. In the 18th century, sadly, things took a turn for the worse. And Drury Lane became one of the absolute worst areas in London. Uh, it was notable for brawls drunkenness uh houses of ill repute <laughs> and gym what houses, year was this uh in the 18th century uh so like 1700s so regular customers of the white heart included jack shepherd and rickard aka dick turpin who came in for a bevy prior to his hanging in 1739 in fact it was like pr- you do it was the it was pretty much condemned men habitually stopped in there for a last drink and a bit of women's comfort before facing the hangman's noose. So, Do it, so did the guards just like drop them off for a shag? Yeah, I don't I don't know exactly how that went down. Uh, or were they just sort of left to their own devices to wander towards the gallows? <laughs> Either way, like... The fuck, guys. You can't fault him, I guess, for for wanting to go... I'm not mad about it. I'm just confused. Uh, In 1869, on the corner of Drury Lane and Macklin Street at 173 Drury Lane, John Sainsbury opened his very first outlet specializing in dairy and produce. Jay Sainsbury is now one of the UK's largest retailers. So, a shit ton of history there. Also, I want to go to that place because the history, the history, like seriously, I want to visit that pub. the history. And it's a fucking adorable pub, too. Um, The second. So what I'm hearing is we're definitely going to plan a trip to England. Yeah, it's got to be done. Uh, All right. So the second and most common reason Drury Lane may sound familiar has to do with the question, 
Do you know the Muffin Man? As the Muffin asked, Man? The Muffin Man. <laughs> as asked by a very popular children's nursery rhyme, and probably two youngsters who are not aware of that nursery rhyme, you will know it from Shrek. Um, but it's oh also a rhyme with a very dark urban legend attached to it. Yeah. The non-traumatizing origin of this classic nursery rhyme, which was first recorded in a British manuscript in 1820. There is- are no non-traumatizing <laughs> origins of nursery rhymes. Come on. Pretty, especially coming out of England. Come on. Uh, that is preserved in the Bodleian Library with lyrics very Ooh. similar to those. Oh, the see- Bodleian. Yes. I love that library. It's got the, fir- the manuscript in there, um, but it's most likely... Most likely about the 19th century bakers who went door to door selling English muffins, much like how milkmen used to deliver bottles of milk. These man, I want someone to show up with English muffins every morning at my house. Right. Uh, these, of course, are the more crumpet-like of muffins, um, yes. not the big sweet versions of muffins that you know we relate to the word. Uh, the Less fun and more problematic version is that he may have been an impoverished beggar man, which they called ragamuffins then. Uh, and uh, the, uh, which, I mean, I, I, I guess, I don't know. Um, I would imagine there'd be more than one, but the not confirmed and most deemed, mostly deemed urban legend but what a fucking legend it is. Uh, version has spread <laughs> like wildfire and involves a man named Frederick Thomas Linwood. Allegedly, between 1589 and 1598, Frederick Thomas Linwood, also known as the infamous Muffin Man, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> was reportedly living on uh, Drury Lane and... Uh, the story goes that Linwood killed, depending on which story you hear, as many as 15 children by luring them into dark alleys with a muffin tied to a string. Again, the luring method changes in the stories as well. He was also said to have killed seven rival pastry chefs with a sharpened wooden spoon. Uh, there is, however, one version that has him... Yikes! <laughs> right? There's one version that has him drowning a rival in brownie batter, but we know that's a lie because the first appear like reference to brownies appears in the Sears Robot catalog published in Chicago in 1898, specifically at the direction of Bertha Palmer, to be served at the Columbian Exposition World's Fair in 1893. I have that catalog. I'm not surprised that you do. Um, so there is a veritable, in fact, there's some articles that list him as being the London's first serial killer. Like, it is literally banana pants. The, uh, the, the, I guess. Dragging a muffin on a string down the street. (laughs) I mean, I, I do understand that impoverished children were of not the same like when we picture impoverished children we are not coming close to picturing the level of despair and starvation that existed so it's entirely possible that a 
hungry child would follow a dirty muffin. Well, especially uh, because of the time, too, kids were just, they were looked at differently. So, yeah. like, it, it, there would be very small children uh, on their own outside. Yeah. Um, so, it, yeah, I it is possible. Um, I would be real pissed that it was an English muffin and, like, a better muffin. If I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down for something with some chocolate in it. I'm just saying. Yeah, but an English muffin <laughs> with, like, cinnamon and sugar. Oh, oh. To- mm. I used to like to uh, toasted with whipped honey. Um, I have never had that, but it sounds delightful. It is. Um, actually, we used to get crumpets and whipped honey from Trader Joe's, and that was oh, mm. Mm, yummy. Um, I will say that the variations of the stories out there on the Deadly Muffin Man is definitely worth a dive. Uh, with all of that, we finally come to. Uh, the Drury Lane Gardens. And this is probably going to be shorter than anybody anticipated. But anyway, um, as I mentioned, the neighborhood had taken a turn for its worse. Uh, the worse. It had even served as inspiration for Charles Dickens. And Bleak House, it was the burial site oh. for, for Nemo, the opium addict. Mm. Dickens describes it as pestiferous and obscene, with houses looking on every side, save where a reeking little tunnel of a court, a dark and miserable covered way, gives way gives access to a burial ground where are heaps of dishonored graves and stones, hemmed in by filthy houses on whose walls a thick humidity broke out like a disease. Ugh. Uh, and the, the just open heaping burial grounds, absolutely accurate. Uh, yeah. In 1852, burial acts sought to put an end to horrific scenes like these. Uh, larger cemeteries were being established away from the more populous areas of the city to alleviate the pressure. Uh, and this ground was closed for burials. And uh, this ground meaning where the Drury Lane Gardens. Uh, it was basically a... Um, it originally belonged to St. John's Church in Broadcourt, just up the road. Um, and so it had been closed and it grew wild for 20 years until following the Open Spaces Act of 1877, by which it became illegal to build on any ground that had been previously used for interments. Uh, it was the first. Well, that's nice. Right. Fewer hauntings. It was the first burial ground to be made into a public garden in Westminster. Oh, that's nice. It is. Uh, Assuming that the bodies were buried deep enough? Yeah. um, I just mean for for scent purposes. Absolutely. Um, So, and I just think, so this is, so Jury Lane Gardens, essentially, so long story short, was the, originally a big open kind of festering burial ground that was overrun and it was turned into a garden and unlike many graveyards to parks though this one specifically has always been intended for children and has been turned into a playground it opened in 1877 as drury lane pleasure garden um right but kind of maybe lost the point of like lost the pleasure part of it um it had a rough go in the beginning uh, it was mainly in part to the, the disorderly manner and how people used to, you know, treat it, you know? <laughs> I mean, you gotta, you gotta do what you gotta do. Right. Uh, so 
it's a little sketchy that the Drury Lane Gardens are for kids. <laughs> right, right. And I it, mean, it's both fitting and also questionable. Exactly. Like, it ties... When you look at that, it ties in. Uh, yeah. So the mortuary uh, is now toilets and, the, and a lodge. And the sexton's cottage um, is on the other side of it. So both of them kind of bookcase either side of the entrance. And the 19th century gate piers still guard the entrance. Uh, There's plenty of seating on benches or raised stone walls. And the park is divided into a play apparatus zone. And there's a larger court for some team sports. Um, There is a working antique drinking fountain. And just behind the pocket park is the crown court of the Church of Scotland. It's not a court like we think of today. But it's yep. thought to have uh, related to the merger of the crowns of England and Scotland. And that church is roughly 304 years old. Like you do. Right. So I know that was a very long description for a very tiny, small thing. But, uh, but I, it's so interesting. I think like... it's amazing. There's many parks, especially in England, most of the pocket parks have were previous cemeteries uh they were great graveyards they were not uh and they've been made into something different so well that's like um my favorite cemetery in brooklyn that Mm -hmm. happens to be a uh, victorian cemetery um greenwood and during that time uh cemeteries were made to be parks right right, in a way that hadn't happened before and so i imagine this is sort of an extension of that right because it's not big enough to be like a full-on park and to keep the you you keep part of they're basically keeping what they can Mm -hmm. i guess um and doesn't that victorian church don't they also have bees and you can buy their honey Yes, it's called the sweet hereafter. Yes, yes. Um, So it just. I have not yet sponsored a hive. (laughs) It's very expensive to sponsor. Oh, I can imagine. It just makes me um, absolutely delighted to know that there is a park, and it's a very cute little park, um, that has made, has sprouted up from where a lot of horrible things had happened. Yeah. Like, it, it found a better thing. And I love that it's the first one that was created and that it was created for children. But again, yeah, it's it's really funny that, you know. I I wonder if there's not a tiny shred. Because t- every urban legend, there's like, every legend, every rumor, gossip, all those things start from a tiny shred of truth. Yeah, there's so, a reason. Right. So I want to know what the real reason is. Um, but... Again. I mean, I imagine it was a sketchy baker who um, abducted children. Yeah. I mean, that is almost certainly what that was. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so, yeah. So that's my little story of uh, a garden that had a deadly kind of beginning to it and now is uh, delightful with giggling children and part of it you know hopefully not giggling (laughs) disembodied children you know what i don't know that i want to be there after dark no no 
because I don't mm. know how they. I I am willing to bet they did not adequately handle the space when they converted it because <laughs> they didn't. I don't know that they could have right um, if it wasn't individual burial plots. Um, they probably weren't it, records or markers or no, anything it's, like that. No, it seems to me, and it was also very famous, one of those that was very famous for grave robbers because it was, you know, they just tossed in the, basically poor people, they just tossed in the dead and that was about it. Um, yeah. So. I yeah. recently came across someone uh, loudly speculating about um, a grave safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and did not know that that cage was to prevent grave robbers <laughs> not to keep the body in. <laughs> and I didn't tell them. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I believe that brings us to <gasps> the weekly worst, worst way, way to die. die. Mine's going to be by just by English muffin luring into an alley. All right. Because uh, that would suck. Like, dude, I was just hungry. <laughs> uh, mine is going to be malicious rhododendron. <laughs> that sounds like a really good band name. <laughs> it's my new punk band. It's a vegan punk group. <laughs> yeah. my, my middle-aged punk band. Love it. Definitely going to be malicious rhododendron. Yes. I love that. (laughs) Uh, Hey, do you want to be spooky internet friends? No. (gasps) Oh, wait. Yes. Lay pout. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm sorry. Yes. (laughs) You can find us at Bones and Bobbins on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all over the social medias, or just pop on over to bonesandbobbins.com. It's true. And don't, don't forget to rate and review this podcast because it pleases the internet gremlins who can be fed after midnight. (laughs) Um, And that is how we show up in recommendations so that other morbid souls can find us. Bring forth the morbid souls. Yes, we want them. All of them. I I want to put them in my pocket part. Yes. (gasps) Ooh. And on that note, let us leave you with advice that you should never, ever forget. Mm -mm. Lock your doors. And don't run with scissors. Or pruning shears. (laughs) I fell off the ladder. (laughs) With pruning shears in my hand. I'm glad you survived. Yeah. (laughs) And that's it. Each episode of the Bones and Bobbins podcast is written and researched by Haley Pearson Cox and Natalie Hoyce. Our music was composed by Loyalty Freak Music. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Bones and Bobbins. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, or check us out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts so you won't miss a minute of our strange and creepy content.